Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I hope you're doing well. For today's guest, we have Jake Tora. You probably know Jake from Instagram. He's become pretty popular over there. And in particular, I think for his, for his views and his education on knee pain and patellar tendinopathy. Jake obviously has had patellar tendinopathy in the past. I have had a pretty extensive history of patellar tendinopathy. You wouldn't be listening to me now if I didn't have that issue in the past. Um, it's the reason I got into this industry in the first place. And Jake has done a brilliant job in picking the brains of some really smart people in those worlds, in, in the patellar tendinopathy in the knee pain world, and um, helping educate people. And that's what we chat about today. Knee pain, patellar tendinopathy, isometrics, where pain fits in, how much pain should you be training through, how you progress through the rehab process, exercise selection, where does biomechanics come into the picture, all of those things. So I first met Jake a few years ago when I appeared on his podcast. I think I've been on as a guest a couple of times. So it was nice to get him to return the favor over here. And it's just a quite a casual chat. Neither of us are saying we have all the answers. We're just trying to figure it out as we go along. And honestly, I think Jake has done a brilliant job. And he has a, a, a I, I think I and a, a lot of others appreciate his no-nonsense view on things where just tells it as he, as he sees it. So I think you're really going to enjoy the episode. If you have a knee, then it's worth listening to, even if it's not in pain or you work with people in pain, just have a listen. You'll learn a lot. And uh, please let us know if you like it. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share it. I would really appreciate that. That's your entry fee. And uh, here's Jake. Enjoy the episode. How you been though, man? The Michael Jordan hoodie. How's that? Yeah, man. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Jordan fan. Are you? Yeah. I never owned Jordan shoes. They're all heavy, I think. I never owned them either. But oh. we don't wear them type of shoes because we're not playing basketball. Oh, what do you mean? Like... They're not really big in in Ireland. They're kind of coming in as a oh. fashion statement kind of thing now, but they were never in that much before. People don't play basketball there, huh? Not really. Really? Wow. No, no they did. Like, not much. It's, it's, our sports are Gaelic football is probably the most popular. Hurling is probably second. We call it soccer, which is, yeah, you call it soccer as well, is probably third. Rugby is fourth. And then you're getting into things like basketball, athletics, swimming, all those kinds of sports. Yeah. So, yeah, we're so like, that's why you don't, well, you don't see many Irish athletes in the Olympics, like winning medals because one, we're such a small country and two, athlete, like, I think a lot of the best athletes are playing other sports. I, yeah, I guess I never really pay attention <laughs> to, to Ireland, Ireland stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I got to message the boys. They got a training session. I might make it. I might not. The, uh, I had Enda King. Do you know him? Yeah, I listened. I had him on the show, dude. I think I, that was good. I, I liked, uh, I like because where I go is like, I try to get these people on and ask questions and everything, but you get, you have 20 questions that give you answers. Then you have 100 more questions, you know, but for him to simplify things, man, it's great. When you can find someone that can simplify things, it's huge. And mm-hmm. for him to like, even the, even the small things like him looking at like the biopsychosocial model as like the volume knob is like, dude, that's crazy because uh, you know, with the tendon issues, because it'd be like, my tendon hurts, and it's all the uh, psychosocial aspects. It's like, well, no, because if you sit on the couch and don't do anything, it's probably not going to hurt. So, you mm-hmm. know, um, yeah, dude, I, I like that guy a lot. Mm-hmm. He has some really good, uh, but he's more an ACL rehab. And I'm like, for myself, I'm like, 
I do not care about anything except for the dogs. Because <laughs> it's I'm the only thing this, I'm, I'm keeping this in the podcast. By the way. Yeah, go ahead. It's the only thing that I've I've struggled with, and patellofemoral pain. You know, like a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the only thing that I really care about. So I I am pretty effortless for, for me to research. But yeah, things like ACL rehab or stuff like like I'll know enough to to help an athlete if I'm training them, but I'm not going to know that much. So if people have in depth questions or they struggle mm-hmm. with things, it's like I'm not the guy. I find somebody mm-hmm. else. You know. I like your singular focus on that and your honesty as well. I, I, I like that. And I don't listen to, I listen to almost zero podcasts from people in the industry on anything to do with movement. I just don't want to, I don't enjoy it really. But I did listen to Enda. He's very smart, very good, very, very good. There's very few coaches or therapists or whatever that have the knowledge and then are able to distill it in, in simple ways. And if you see him coaching, I haven't met him, but I've seen like clips of him and stuff like that. He's a really good coach. The way he coaches like movements, the way he uses words, very, very good. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. helps that he's been an athlete as well. Yeah. So, dude, that's been my struggle actually is, I mean, and, and for me, I know you have your courses online, like your three programs. And for myself, it took me like, it took me months to get those together, you know? And they're simple. They're, they're so short and, and easy, but... It, it's so hard to create something out of thin air and, and put all this knowledge and, and then simplify it in a way where it's going gonna, it's gonna to work for the masses and not confuse people. And currently, that's my struggle, too, is I'm trying to get more information on the patellar tendon, on patellofemoral pain. And there's so much information, good information, and I'm still attempting to figure it out in my head in a way that's going to be simple enough for people to use. Because dude, anyone in the world can say, oh, it depends. You might need something different. You know, <laughs> it doesn't help anyone. Yes, of course it depends. Uh, so it's like, it, it, it's kind of overwhelming. I mean, I, I think when you work one-on-one with a person, you can get through those things easier because you can, you can probably be like, okay, your tibia doesn't rotate or something. And it's like, you can throw a thousand things at them and get it to fix, you know, but you try to do it online. It's like, what do you say? Do you say the thousand things and confuse them? Or do you say, let's try this one simple thing and they try that one simple thing. And then what if that doesn't work though? Then it's like, okay, there's 999 other things we could have done. You know? I don't know. I don't know if you have any insight there. That, that's just tough for me. Well, I do get to work one-on-one with people, but I obviously have the, the programs and stuff as well. When I'm working one-on-one with someone with a tendon issue, I will usually give them always, I'll always load them, right? With everyone, I'll always load them. I will almost always pick some kind of biomechanical aspect that I think can, we can work on. And I think it's important to do it. Not just, even if that thing doesn't help the tendon too much, if I'm like, I can just improve your movement so much here by just getting this hip to move in a certain way. Like that's going to serve them for the next 20 years. That's also why I almost always give someone some kind of breathing exercise because if they can go and do that, they won't need to go to half the physiotherapy sessions that like every time your back gets jacked up, just lie down and breathe and relax. Like how, how can I not teach someone that skill? So for me, it's just picking the two to three initially, at least like, obviously we'll get to a full gym program, all that stuff. Initially it's two or three, the biggest elephants in the room and attacking those. And I test and retest, obviously I have the ability to do that, but just picking the biggest elephants and, and, at least one of those things will definitely pay off. And if you do them right and you coach it right, two or three of them will definitely pay off. Mm-hmm. Dude, when you, uh, 
when I talked with you last, you came on my podcast, you talked about, I think you were talking about like three things uh, that for rehab, I don't know what it was, but you were talking about doing, um, having movement that you're not thinking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at the time I was, in, I was in California, I had some, I was dealing with patellofemoral pain, kind of bad on my right side. My, my vastus lateralis was just like locked up and, and, and dense and everything. And I was like, I didn't know what was going on, man. Like, and I tried all the things I knew. Like, I thought it was like a patellar tendon pain. So it's like, can be pretty simple, but I don't think it was looking back. And um, I, tr- I did all the gym stuff. My quads were strong, you know, and it's just like, it never helped, never helped, never helped. And then I moved to, I came to Minneapolis. So I started working at a gym this summer and I started playing basketball like four days a week and patellar femoral pain just went away. <laughs> Just from playing basketball, like four days a week, because I couldn't play. California was locked down. Gyms were shut down. I wasn't doing anything like that. Maybe I didn't have the, the biopsychosocial aspects. I didn't have a group of friends out there like I do here. But it was me, like, for ever since I've kind of rehabbed my patellar tendon, is I've been putting my body under these 500-pound squats or 600-pound deadlifts, or it's like jumping 30-plus inches or doing these these crazy things. And... I didn't get that when I was in California. It's like, I stopped, I completely stopped that stuff. So I think for me to, if I was going to try to go and do some really isolated or low level biomechanical thing, I don't know if that would have helped. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like, I didn't have to think about anything at all. I just had to get a bas- get on a basketball court. And I don't know what that was. Is that like getting the brain more involved, like the vestibular system and the vision and, and everything where you can't really focus on pain as much, but it was huge. And I think it's a good thing to take those stories, those anecdotes, but it can also be bad because then it influences me. It gives me my own bias when I talk to other people, you know, and I'll be like, well, basketball can be good or something. And then it's like, you look at the way they play and it's like, they're going 200% and just destroying themselves. And I'm like, dude, I'm playing pickup at LA fitness with these kids who suck. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't have to try most of the time. Yeah. Um, I think the lesson from that though is just that fucking anything could help. And like, that's why I try and get everyone to go for like, someone who's like more chronic pain doesn't matter what it is like just go 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 and do more walking stop thinking what's my foot doing when i hit the floor just go and have a walk look up look around that probably helps most people because they're just going to relax a bit more and move go and play basketball meeting a friend for coffee like that's that's anything could help and and you don't know why i have no idea why i think that's yeah. the lesson there uh-huh. maybe it was the like low level plyometric that you were getting I know, dude, that I think that was one thing I missed too, is that I used to, when I was at university and I, I hated being at whatever I was there and I had a gym basically to myself, like a basketball, a little basketball gym. There was six racks. I sometimes had a training partner, but I trained all the time. I had nothing else to do in, in Ohio in Youngstown, Ohio. So I trained all the time. I got so many low level plyometrics and then I started playing spike ball. I'd play like two, three hours of spike ball a day. And it's kind of like, I think... I, I had trained that way for so long and got all of these abilities. And then I stopped training that way and it all went down. And I think with COVID, I moved to my parents for a little bit, like three months maybe for COVID because I the university didn't want me there. And then it was, again, man, I just went to lifting heavy weights and doing dunk sessions and I'm not playing basketball anymore. I'm not playing spike ball. So the, whatever it was, 10 hours of low-level plyometrics I got every single week, I no longer got anymore. And then my left patellar tendon started to blow up and I never had left patellar tendon pain in my life. So I think if, if there was a, a way to keep a training log, like just a very general training log, it's probably pretty easy to look at that and be like, what changes in load did I get? Like what maybe spikes in load, but also like, what did I take away? And now I've lost that ability. And in hindsight, it's so easy to see, but when you're going through it, it's like, dude, why, the, why is my knee hurt? This, this never happened before. And it's like, 
you're not going to think maybe it's because I'm not playing spike ball as much, you know, there's no yeah. way you're going to think that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's very hard. It's very <laughs> hard. That's why I'm distrusting sometimes of the, of some SNC coaches like who their, their thing is look how high I can jump as an SNC coach. And I'm going to train you to be a better athlete because I can jump so high, but like they can't, a lot of some of them can't change direction at all. They can't do this and that. You're trying to play, tell a field-based sport. You could jump like me if you trained like me. It's like, I need to do all these other things as well. <laughs> you know? Well, dude, hey, that's, a, that's giving credit because at least, at least you're saying a strength coach could jump. Usually they're just stupid strong and they're fat powerlifters and then they judge all the athletes for being soft. Yeah, true. But some yeah. of them can jump. Some of them yeah, can jump through yeah, the Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but I see, I see that from the, weight, the big weight room guys. They can, jump, they can jump like crazy. But then if you get them to do an approach jump, it looks like they're they can't they're like they're, they're uncoordinated and they might actually lose a few inches because like they just they can't transition any horizontal to vertical it's like they're only good at squatting and deadlifting and split squatting and moving standing there and jumping and it's like dude you got you got to realize like in athletics there's a lot more going on than this yeah. and also man you're training these kids in team sports if you're at a like uh i don't know if you're at a high level it's like do they really need to push these physical qualities like crazy? You know, there's so much other stuff going on and often they might've just had it. So if you're going to be, you're going to have a disconnect as a strength coach, because usually the strength coach is kind of like the, the workhorse guy who had to work for everything. And then if you get really gifted D one athletes or got people that might go pro, it's like, maybe they didn't have to work like that. And you're going to tell them like the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So it's like, dude, get out of here, man. Like everyone is, everyone is so different. And then you use phrases like that. Come on, go tell it to Alan Iverson. Like Alan Iverson doesn't even want Alan Iverson doesn't want to touch weights. He doesn't even want to go to practice. And you can say how you do one thing, how you do everything. You know, it's like want to practice. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The approach stuff is interesting. That's like that's Bosch's. That's what Bosch is one of big, his big thing. Effectively, is what he's saying there that the strength coaches is can't overcome muscle slack. Like they need that big counter movement to overcome muscle slack. Other people will phrase it as you're just not training the skill of the approach. They're effectively saying the same thing because some people are talking about like the skill of the penultimate step or the approach or whatever. And, and they think Bosch isn't talking about that. He's, he's talking about the skill at the intramuscular and intramuscular level when that's happening. But mm -hmm. whether you need to train a Bosch clean to do that or whether you just need to go and practice more approaches. Probably yeah, the, so I'm one guy in the, in the, uh, in the dunk world, I guess we call it that. There's very few people who have a short penultimate if they're two leg guys, you know, a very short penultimate. And I get, I get people. I mean, I even get this like one, this one guy who like runs a company, and then I get, but usually it's young kids. Hey, lengthen your penultimate, bro. You're gonna jump so much higher. And it's like, get out of here, guys. You don't, you don't even know me. But I also think that if we talk about that, getting that longer penultimate and having to have that muscle stack ability, you know, what if you just don't have the capacity to handle all of that speed on that one leg at that one moment? Mm -hmm. And now you're going to force an athlete, hey, really lengthen your penultimate, work on lengthen. It's like the brain has figured this out. It doesn't want you to use a long penultimate. It wants you to use a short one so that you can hit and then the other one can come down right away and then you can kind of distribute force with both legs. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think we ever look at it from that, I don't want to say injury, but maybe maybe like look at it from more of like an overuse standpoint of why force your body to do something that it doesn't want to do. Mm -hmm. And if you want a longer one, which you probably do, because most people who jump high do have a hit who want to maximize their jump, have a longer penultimate. It, it might just take you a few years, you know, just get, just get the, get the hang of it over time, but let your structures adapt to it. Don't just say, Hey, we need to let, and it's like, 
yeah, what if you don't have that muscle slack ability? Yeah. Then you're just going to be torquing on your, you're just going to be torquing on your knees. And it's like, you, you probably don't want that. No, it's as simple as this. Maybe it's, maybe it's a good idea. Look, I don't know anything. I'm not in that world, but maybe it's a good idea to lengthen the penultimate, but telling someone to lengthen the penultimate using those words is certainly not going to <laughs> Like, you yeah. know, maybe putting a constraint there where, I don't know, like you have to step over a mini hurdle or something to do that. I don't know. I don't think that would work. But for instance, maybe that then the system can organize, but just actively lengthening your penultimate for the sake of it is going to make you probably worse yeah. in the short term. Yeah. <laughs> I think you just, you just lengthen it by virtue of learning to jump higher and then that just happens. Yeah. But hey, dude, no, the thing is people, people are stupid. You know, they want, they want simple, uh, they want to, they want to take anything and then apply it to everything. You know, like before we came on, I was thinking about, um, we talked about Enda and, uh, I want to get this one guy, Michael Kerr, K-J-A-E-R. He's a researcher with tendons and he put some stuff on the circadian rhythm and tendons of like during the daytime, it kind of accumulates what he said, accumulates damage and waste products. I, I don't know the exact words. And then at night, it kind of like cleans everything up. So he was talking about the circadian rhythm being off. They did it in like mice and rats or something that that can lead to some degradation mm-hmm. over time. And then you know that tendon pain, uh, you're not going to get tendon pain if you don't have the degradation. So it's like, maybe there's something to this. I pull something like that on a story and the kid's like, my sleep schedule is all off. It's no wonder why I have bad tendonopathy. It's like, oh my, come on, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> or yeah. I posted one on caffeine. I posted one on caffeine too, because Keith Barr had some research like very early research in the caffeine and tendon world that you can't extrapolate anything out of yet and i post a little bit on that he's like i drink so much caffeine every day my tendons are all wrecked it makes complete sense it's like and that's the most people that's most people you guys are so stupid i don't understand mm-hmm. enda spoke a lot about keeping a vertical shin didn't he <laughs> I, I i well i think I'm trying to think of what he did. I, I think recent my most recent thing is like I listened to one Jill Cook podcast and they were talking kind of about that because they were kind of talking vertical shin versus that like knees over toes type thing. And mm-hmm. and it was a it was a podcast with both Jill and Ebony and they were just talking about should we push into that position? And they were like, well, what's the like, what's the goal? Is the goal of quad strength? And she's like, we can get good quad strength with a vertical shin. With the I don't know what Enda said, but the one thing that stuck out with Enda was that the pain thing of like you should don't even go into pain. Don't even go into discomfort. Yeah. Because from mostly everyone else, I've heard the opposite where they say, if your tendon hurts, well, it's a good thing to tell people that if your tendon hurts and you're doing exercise, like you're not causing more damage, at least if it's not like a, okay, you're probably, I guess you're probably causing damage. If your tendon hurts and you're just jumping like that type of pain, like cold vertical jump with a patellar tendon, bad patellar tendon, you're probably causing some damage, but if you're in the gym squatting and doing a leg extension, it's like, oh, my tendon kind of hurts. It's like the idea you're not causing that much pain. But yeah, I've heard other people like PTs or the researchers of like, you can use a little bit of pain in training, but as long as the next day is, is okay, you're fine. Uh, but yeah, what Enda said, it was just like, don't push through pain. Don't push through comfort because you always pay for it the next day. I was like, well, that's different. That's not what I heard from other people, but I've been trying that myself too, because I usually push through pain and I do think that the next morning I do pay for it. Yeah. I think there's a fine line there. I don't think. Yeah, it's one I, I know. I know. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think I heard it. And now it's like, I'm on that far extreme of like, let me try this out. You know, whereas mm-hmm. probably like, I might think actually, maybe it's individual is yeah. someone can do a leg extension and get like a five out of 10 pain the next morning. They have nothing. You're fine. But if yeah. someone does a five out of 10 and it hurts the next, it's like, okay, uh, maybe not. Yeah. For me, back 10 years ago, when I was maybe more when my tendon was really bad. 
I avoided pushing into pain at all outside of training sessions. So outside on the pitch or whatever, I, I obviously I was absolutely crucified as I was training there. And then in the gym and stuff, I I stayed away from it completely. It was like little story. I went to I went up to San- Santry Sports Clinic back then, over ten years ago, I think, where Enda works. It's one of the best. It's one of the best clinic sports clinics in the world. Some of the staff there, Colin Griffin, Enda, they're they're absolutely brilliant. People travel from all over to go to them. But I went there and the guy was trying to, the physio was trying to teach me to squat with a completely vertical shin. And it was a, it was a front squat. And he stood in front of me for half an hour with his finger in front of my knee and trying to get me to like bend at the hip first. You just, you can't really do it. You just can't squat. And it was just again and again and again, every single thing was vertical shin. And after going up three sessions, I took a month off training in, in the middle of a like big, important season and went back for the, i think it was the third session and then the the head physio came over i can't remember what his name was at the time and in front of me he said to the other physio oh you shouldn't have been doing any of that stuff i wouldn't have done any of that and i just fucking walked out i was like i'm never coming back here again i just wasted a month <laughs> of my life doing stupid things so um but they've changed a lot <laughs> and that that was just my experience but um it was interesting that I heard Enda talking about the vertical shin, but then he is, he does have ACL on his mind. Most people think of ACL with like knee valgus, but the sagittal plane is the issue in the first place. There's not enough co-contraction and stiffness there. So then the knee starts to go forward and then when it goes forward, there's valgus. So it was interesting like here, here and that. I don't know. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. I remember it now. Yeah, doing the wall squat. He was he was referencing that, doing a wall squat, mm-hmm. um, facing the wall, not letting your yes. um, like knees hit. But it seemed like he was of the idea of let's get the the hips and the knees to kind of distribute force together instead of if someone is like very like I would think that if someone's very quad dominant and they do a squat or they do a hinge with just their knees, you know, like they're doing a hip hinge and they just use more knees than they should. uh, You probably might use an exercise like that or do more hinges, you know, to Mm -hmm. kind of hopefully balance things out. I think maybe was the idea, but it seemed like he was kind of of the idea of not just like uh i don't know not bending the knees forward but like but yes definitely the acl thing he's definitely thinking acl and i i would never think that it's like patellar tendon rehab patellar tendon is an issue i'm not going to think about acl you know i'm just going to be like i don't care what i'm doing let me let me torque the acl or like increase the chance of acl i'm not thinking about that i'm just thinking about getting my patellar tendon better yeah uh, but the uh yeah the whole wall squat thing when my patellar tendon was bad i went through a few programs myself i mean i went through surgery i went through pt um, and I did this, I bought this program from, uh, one of these guys, like 30 bucks. It was, I think it was an athlete's guide to chronic knee pain. I think that's what it was called. And it was all hip glute activation. That's the whole program. So I'd be, I'd be laying on the floor. It was in, when I was an undergrad, I think it was a sophomore or a junior laying on the floor in my dorm room. I would do like prone glute raises, like hundreds of reps, bird dogs. It took me like 90 minutes to do each session. It was miserable. It was terrible. And I did it for months. And uh, it didn't do anything for my toe tendon. But so I'm biased against that. But I think looking back now, I'm like, if there is a way where you you have an athlete that can take some of that force with their hips by changing their jumping or landing pattern a little bit, that's probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can if they can take some of that, if, if you have an idea of an athlete that's just landing with their knees, just flying forward, it's like, let's try to distribute that a little bit back, like sit back a little bit. That's probably going to be a good thing. I don't think we really talk about that, the hip and the knee thing. I think we more talk about like the foot, you know, the foot being yeah. able to move distribute force. But you hate to like 
throw something completely out. And I did for a long time. I'm just like, no, those bomb mechanics don't matter. The hip bomb mechanics don't matter. Just freaking train your quads and train your calves. But it's like, I think there's, there's definitely something to that. Yeah. And there's probably a case of a person. I think they've done a research on this where they've shown huge pain decreases in a group of people where they, all they did was that glute type stuff. Like they have some with patellar tendon issues and all I do is glute training and glute and landing patterns to get the hips more. And these people get pain relief. So I think there's mm-hmm. probably a group of people where it could work really well. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that research on exactly the videos of how they were training them because I guarantee you they're just actually loading the tendon when they when they do and the actually, land, landings and stuff. You know, they're just training actually getting landings back in in a progressive yeah. way. Yeah, I think um, some of those patellar tendon researches are kind of, are the research is kind of messy, and then you have the idea of like maybe it's not a true patellar tendon and it might be like something else going on, but. Yeah, they some of those studies they take people with a pain that's like a three out of ten, and it's like, what's the point of even taking this person three out of ten? Like, what are you going to see? So I, I don't think I don't, in that group they might have no, it wasn't even a group. It was a single guy. So it was a case study. Mm-hmm. It was a single guy case study, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could find, I might be able to find it. It was pretty interesting to look at, but I was also like, yeah, I ain't using this for like the the main the main means of getting potato back. Look, I think the answer is for me at least. Just getting better at it, like getting helping someone get better at everything. So if I want to teach them to use their hips a lot more, I'm going to just give them more hinging work. I'm not going to try and get them to squat, to hinge more in their squat. I'm going to improve their squat and improve their hinge and improve their hip internal and external rotation, improve how the ankle and the foot moves and loads, strengthen the calf, strengthen the quad, all of these things. Are all, and that's what I do with every client anyway. It just has to be different with a tendon issue because you have to be smarter with it and stuff how you increase the load maybe that's starting with a, a leg extension or whatever but that's what i was just think about doing anyway i just can't understand the fight between the biomechanics people and the and the load people if you don't understand the biomechanics you can give someone a squat all day long and they will not load their tendon they'll just keep not loading it. uh-huh yeah. <laughs> i think you could probably pair this up with like the, the personality type the people who are the biomechanics and the load tolerance people. I was, uh, I went out, when I went out to like New Jersey, I, you, I mean, you, you laugh, you probably imagine it now, but the, uh, I went out to New Jersey, my friend, uh, Zach Evanesh, she's like big time strength coach in the States. We we're talking about Cal Dietz and Cal Dietz is like kind of the scientific strength coach. And Zach was like, dude, he's going to attract the science minded strength coach. But he's like myself, because Zach is like a wrestling guy, like a mental toughness guy. He's like, I don't care much for that. I'm more attracted to the mental toughness guy, you know? And he's like, listen off these different groups of, of strength coaches. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Like dude, whatever personality type you are, you can identify with that other person. So I think um, for myself, like being, well, I play basketball, so it's kind of different because basketball guys are not usually meatheads or don't like to touch weights at all. But I'm like, I, I love lifting weights, you know, like powerlifting, bodybuilding. And like, I've seen huge gains from, so it's like, when I get patellar tendon rehab, I'm going to veer on the side of increasing the load. And, you know, and then it's like the biomechanic side where you look at guys who are like hundred pounds doing like. A reaching split squat or something i'm going to be turned off to that you know <laughs> be like i don't want to breathe in balloons you know i just want to let me just load my tendon but uh yeah I, I think it's just whoever you connect with and we have we're all we all have a flawed brain like we have so many cognitive biases and the big the big one probably is what has worked for us in the past yeah. and then we go and try to use that with other people i mean you talk with joel smith his podcast a lot we, we both have vertical jump training my friend will has vertical jump training and me and Will are both lifters. Like we both, he probably, I mean, he's stronger than me, but it's like, whatever, 400, 500, 600 pound squats. And that's how we get our vertical jump up. But we're like the force guys. We're wide guys, force guys. 
But then you have Joel, who's like the track guy, the skinny track guy, and he gets his his without the heavy lifting with doing the plyometric volume. So it's like Joel's going to train someone probably like that. And people who are attracted to Joel and are the narrow guys are probably going to go to Joel. And for me and Will, the guys who are bigger and have like a wider ISA or just love lifting, they're probably going to come to us. So it's like, is is one right or wrong? Or can we hate on one another? It's like, man, we're training completely different groups and completely different identities. Mm-hmm. That's why having conversations is good because it does humble you. You, t- you. you talk to all different people. You talk to someone again that like it humbles you because you're listening to him talking and his experiences. And, and especially if someone can articulate themselves well, you start to think like, this isn't a dumb person. This is someone who's really thought things through, but they're still saying something that's maybe a little different. Not in, in is just an example, like, but you know, they're saying something different, but they're saying it for a reason. And also what also humbles you is actually just working with, people and realizing that none of it matters if i don't get a result with them so what matters most is not my training ideology it's just how i actually help the person and that's definitely humbled me a lot over the years it's just i need to have more tools in my toolbox and i try to be as not as biased yeah just just the least amount of bias i can but i'm still biased of course you know i'm actually curious how you how you deal with that is you have people if someone does get a pain decrease or they see a result, they're so quick to say, here's a mechanism. It's like, man, there are a thousand mechanisms that play. Like, mm-hmm. just leave it alone. Don't even try to address it. You're not smart enough to address it. But I did a Q&A yesterday and I put up like, this guy had a, a bulging disc or something and or a back issue and it got, his knee was tight. Um, and I'm like, he's like, I'm like, oh, I don't know what I said. I said, I don't know. Like, that's not, I don't know. <laughs> don't, don't ask me. Um, don't ask a random guy on Instagram some kid messaged me on a message and he was like, tell him to do ATG because I did ATG and I got my knees better and it resolved my back. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what's like, you're working the, the back is higher up towards the brain. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. that's not, I don't think that's what's going on, but I'm like, I'm not going to dismiss your results, kid. If that, if that gave you results, cool. Now you're going to say my one story is going to apply to the other 7 billion people in the world. Like yeah. get out of here. What about the person who, did ATG for their knee and they ended up hurting their back. I know. Yeah. So you know. I think the problem is just when you attempt to give an explanation for something and it's a very poor explanation, if, if someone doesn't call you out on it, you're going to, you're going to still go out and give the explanation again and again and again. So sometimes people maybe are, are judgmental towards me of like, if I'm kind of cold or give kind of a, an answer like that, but it's like, no, the kid gave a bad explanation for something. So I'm going to call him out and say that this is not valid. I'm not saying that your experience was wrong. I'm saying that your explanation is wrong or your explanation is bad. And that's why if you continue to give this to other people, we're not going to like, and this is the idea with progress is there's, there's no progress to be made. If, if you're just saying, this is my story and here's my explanation. It's a bad explanation. We can't make any progress from this. We're actually probably regressing from this. So for me to call you out, I'm doing the world a favor. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing the, uh, I'm doing the profession a favor. It's, You're not, not going to go out. I thought it was the admin. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, the admin. <laughs> oh. You're after giving the, you're after giving the game away now. I haven't, I haven't talked about that. I haven't talked about that in a long time, dude. I, I haven't posted on my vertical jump protocol uh, admin the, the, the page in a while. It's like usually I go on to like hate on Goda or hate on someone saying like some, some claim that just doesn't exist, mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think. James, I, I don't know if you're familiar with James Smith. He's a strength coach in the States. The thinker. Yeah, the thinker, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he always referenced that David Deutsch guy. And David Deutsch says that he, mm-hmm. he had that he had that book where all all uh, I think the 
probably paraphrasing, but all progress is made with better explanations. You know, so I'm like, that's pretty solid. I don't know anyone who can refute that. Yeah. And if you give an explanation for something and then I give a better explanation that can hold up the criticism, my explanation can make more progress than yours. So it's like, why don't we attempt to give better explanations? But I think here's the problem is when you have people making money, like I guess we're making money online, is we might not, we might not be interested in that. We might just be interested in making money. So we might just want to market and not give the truth because the truth is is kind of kind of hard. It might not make us as, as much money. So we're like the separation of marketing and truth. I I, I, I think it, it's tough. It's tough. I think I had this conversation. I think it was with Jamie Smith, actually, the Australian strength coach, yeah. um, Melbourne Strength Culture. I actually just released that podcast today. I think it was him I had the conversation with. And actually, Instagram has helped me be better with my explanations and be better with not being as confident all the time with my explanations. Because if I'm writing a caption and I'm saying this is the answer, some motherfucker is going to call me out. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to be more. So I'm just trying to poke holes in my argument all the time. And sometimes I'm very confident in my explanation as to why I helped someone. But I don't say it out loud. I'm like, I, I, I really think this is why I helped them. But like, I can't be very sure about backing that up. So I just don't say it. Yeah. I love what, uh, what Jill, maybe it's Jill and Ebony, they, they would all say is it's, it's it tendon rehab, probably rehab of anything is it's always about improving pain and improving function. Because it's like you can improve pain for a tendon by just maybe doing nothing. You know, but that doesn't improve function because if you want to go play basketball, so you have to, you have to get up to that point. And I'm like, these people, they ask questions on like, is this good? Is this good? Is this good? It's like, I could answer everything with, does it decrease pain and does it improve function? If it does, then use it, go ahead. But I think that's so powerful, but uh, I don't know. It's maybe that's still not a common thing for people. No, but that's why in the rehab world you are literally not successful unless you have identified the goal, the end goal that someone wants to, I want to get back to doing this thing. And I got you there. This, this, this before and after thing that people post of like, or someone came in, their right shoulder was an inch lower. and now it's the same level. Like that, that can be a a result or it's cool to show that change, but why did they come in in the first place? That's all that matters. And actually, a lot of the time, people won't even tell you why they came in in the first place because they're so afraid to articulate their end goal, which is I haven't been able to play basketball in two years. So they'll come in and say, my show, my knee hurts or my shoulder hurts, or my hip hurts. But like, you have to find out the end goal. Otherwise, you are not successful in their rehab. Uh-huh. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah. Like where you are now, where you, where you want to be at the end and then like kind of the graded exposure to get there. Mm-hmm. The, dude, I got, it, I got it once with my patellar tendon rehab. I had a PT. I don't know what she, what we were doing, but she's like, "What do you want to get back to?" I'm like, "I want to play basketball again." She's like, "Really? I don't know if that's ever going to happen." Like, <laughs> and I was like, "I think I was like 20 years old at the time, you know. Like, I have all the capacity to recover in the world, and it's like, I don't know if you're going to play basketball again." It's like, "What? Are you serious?" <laughs> like, you should yeah. tell people this. Not so fun. <laughs> Not so fun because uh, you're already thinking that in your own mind. Some of the time, you're kind of like, "Am I in trouble here?" You know? Yeah, and then someone with authority says that to you, it's not so good. The uh, but I, I was also, I mean, I, I look and, and I'm also biased because I was so afraid to load my knees at the time for years. So I was, I was so afraid to put anything on them, even squatting. I was afraid mm-hmm. of, but yeah, no pain whatsoever. Man, I forgot, I forgot where I was going with that thought. Maybe I was going nowhere with that thought, but I, I, yeah, it's, it's ended, it's gone. <laughs> I had something, dude, it's gone now. 
where have you netted out? You're not allowed to say it depends, obviously. Where do you think is the best entry point for people with tendon issues then, with pelor tendon issues? Where do you think oh, is the safest starting point? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think that uh, the, the, the four-stage process is like so clear and so easy where it's like, okay, you got a patellar tendon issue. Yeah, start with isometrics, you know, start with the leg extension isometric because like you probably know the quads are going to be shut down. You probably know that you have some, de- you, ha- you know, you have degeneration with the tendon. And if you believe in that Keith Barr stuff, it's like, I guess you can change the tendon. So like getting a load back to the tendon. So it's like isometrics, but I've kind of changed that too, because I've had, I've had people reach out where, and this is where when Jill is just like, if you have a patellar tendon, it doesn't matter the load. It's going to like the load, you know, it'll, it'll just any load you can put on it, go ahead. And then Keith Barr is like, when you're trying to adapt the tendon, you should actually take the pin on the leg extension and put it all, all the way at the bottom. And then do a 60, 60 degrees and push as hard as you can to get like an overcoming isometric. You know? But I've had people purchase the program, get those ideas, apply it themselves, and their tendon will just blow up. It's only been like two guys. Their tendon just blows up for like the next week and they can't do anything. I'm automatically thinking like, I don't know if that's a tendon. I don't know if whatever, but they actually just experiment and they're like, okay, well, I started at like 60 pounds or whatever, 100 pounds. It was way too much. I've since scaled it way back to 10 pounds and then increased as, as, as discomfort pain allows. Still doing the overcoming or, or changing? No, not overcoming. Yielding. Well, it's just a pause. Yeah. Just a nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yielding. It would be a yield Yeah, yielding. Yeah, I guess, you, yeah, you're not. And then it just, it just kind of adapts better over time. So that's one thing too, when Endo was talking about the pain thing where I was like, okay, that, that would be, I don't know if that's across the board or if that's for a person, but. Anyways, your question, like, I think isometrics are probably the, the easiest place to start in, in something like that. There's just, you're just not going to get problems with it. You're not going to aggravate it more. You're going to be able to get load through there. I, I think one thing that people don't talk about, and I, I made a video last summer on compression, patellar tendon compression, because they talk about, there's this research study with Jill and Craig Purdom, a, a bunch of people that are talking, I think Sean Docking, it was compression in uh, tendinopathy, and they listed like, 30 tendons that get compressed and they didn't even reference the patellar tendon. I'm like, well, does the patellar tendon uh, compression tensile stress is like, it's just being tugged. You're tugging on the tendon. And then compression is when it's like, it's just running into something. So like the idea with the patellar tendon is it, the back, the back of the patellar tendon is running into the patella kneecap. Mm-hmm. And that's usually where you see the degeneration. So that's where you get the, if you did MRI, if you did ultrasound, you would see that the degeneration would be on the backside of the patellar tendon, right? Where it's kind of hitting the bone. So it's like, Maybe that's going on. And then they, they actually did a research. It was, it was like patellar tendinosis, a new hypothesis or something. And they covered the whole idea with compression. So anyways, when I just, it makes me think that anytime you're doing a, a, a deeper knee flexion position or like a sissy squat where you're forcefully shoving the knees forward, could you potentially be causing that compression again on the patellar tendon? And maybe that's not a good thing, but I don't want to say that because if it doesn't hurt, then you're probably good. And if it doesn't hurt the next morning, you're probably good. And you probably, you need to deal with compression because you're going to get compression when you get back to sport. But I guess our conversation started with the entry point. And I'm like, the entry point is probably a leg extension, maybe a more straighter leg, leg extension, because you're not going to get the compression. You're not going to get all the bad aspects of pain going on again. You can get load back in the tendon and then you can progress from there, like, like very slowly. But to say, let's start and let's do a really knee dominant type position. If you don't tolerate it well, then you probably shouldn't. And why risk doing something that you might not tolerate? Well, why not do something where we can get the benefit of getting the quad activated again and getting getting some stimulus through the patellar tendon by just getting out of leg extension? Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think 
people underestimate just how important it is in the beginning, at least to build confidence again, to say to someone, when you do this exercise, if you went to the gym, did nothing except for a leg extension, you will wake up and feel a bit better tomorrow and you've put some load and you might feel your quad has done a bit of work. That's an empowering feeling for someone. Like when I think back for, for me, I, I just was like, my knee is fucked. There's nothing <laughs> I can do. Uh, no, absolutely nothing I can do. And like, if someone had taught me that back then, when I first realized, hang on, there is something I can do. It wasn't when I was keeping the vertical chain. It's when I started doing like horse stance isometrics and like split lunge isometrics, things like that. And it was kind of just by accident. I had given up on my knee and I started doing these isometrics as part of a different training. And my knee started feeling better. It's like, holy shit. So just, just so understanding some load can give you that. And I don't understand key bars overcoming work there. That doesn't make sense to me. Why? It just doesn't. <laughs> Especially not as any entry point. Like, okay, yeah, I don't think. Anyways, I don't think that would. For him, he doesn't talk about he doesn't talk about rehab plan. He just talks about like, yeah, he just talks about how do we get the tendon to adapt maximally or whatever the phrase is. Mm. So yeah, probably not entry point thing to do it overcoming. But again, but again, if it doesn't hurt and if pain is is mm-hmm. is not worse the next day, it's always like, okay, you're probably fine. But then you have the case like the guy I was talking about, where it's like, if I did, if he did that and he did do something like that, he's blown up for a whole week. It's like, well, dude, that's clearly too much. You know, yeah. uh, you must have a very bad tendon. Yeah. With the yielding, though, I'd have to look into, you might know the answer, you might not, but are they not trying to actually get the, the tendon to kind of yield a bit as well then in them longer held isometrics? What do you mean? I need to, I need to look into it. I need to look into that. So apart from- Because you would low- need, so like, I, I think the idea is like, if you, maybe a better example, maybe, maybe a better example, because with a leg extension, it just always seems like there's a little bit of room to move around, you know, like mm-hmm. your, your body, like just the slightest movements. But if you did like a wall sit, you're not really going to move much. If your feet are placed and your butt is in the wall, you're not going to move much. So it's like if you do a wall sit for a minute and the, the idea is your quad muscle is consistently shortening, 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 but your tendon is the one that's going to have to lengthen a, a tiny bit. You that's know? what I mean. That's what I mean. But would the tendon be lengthening? Like if you're getting that little bit of lengthening in, it, lengthening in the tendon. But if it's doing an overcoming, would it be doing that? I don't know. and and the overcoming seems so messy because you never know how hard you're pushing you unless you have a force plate it's- i know yeah and it, it, it's like not over time it's just like i don't know it's not motivating to do because it's like no. you can push really hard for 10 seconds and then completely let up and then push again and it's like you feel the you kind of feel the same yeah. thing i it's, feel yeah. like it needs to be a, I, I feel like i could be wrong i need to look into that i feel like it needs to be are you i only use yielding isometrics for tendon rehab until towards the end of the the isometric process or the end maybe towards the middle or the end of the rehab i'll start to give them overcoming isometrics and that's i just like overcoming isometrics at that stage in any rehab really but i do feel like it probably needs to be a yielding early on but you do overcoming shorter what is a shorter time like shorter duration yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah much shorter. is that's the thing too is like you you're doing overcoming you're going maximal like can you really do that for 30 seconds you know no. you probably do it for like i don't know six or ten but, but yeah, I don't. Doing, in his knee rehab at the moment, which is an ACL, we're doing three second maximum push for three reps and three sets. Uh huh. But that's not a tendon. That's just drive as hard as possible, go balls to the wall for three seconds, rest, off you go again. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I mean, I've used, I've used stuff like, and it's like, yeah, it, for other, for other, for other purposes, not for tendon, but 
Dude, I uh, you you said your story. You you gave up on your tendon. Like I had the same thing. I had it so bad for for so many years, and then I just completely gave up. I'm like, I'm not gonna play basketball anymore. I'm not gonna try dunking. I'm not gonna try jumping. And uh, I just got into bo- bodybuilding and powerlifting. And then not that I competed in bodybuilding. I just was like, I just want to get huge, you know. Uh, so I just, I just, <laughs> and you succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I got my job at Youngstown State, and I started training basketball players again. And I had a basketball court downstairs and everything and like hurdles. So I'm like, I'm going to start jumping again, you know, and I just started jumping and like I was back, you know, but then, then I had to learn about changes in load because I just went from two years of no jumping to now I'm going to jump three days this week and just blow my tendon up again. But I think that's another, um, that's one thing Jill talks about is people that when they have failed rehab with the tendon is like those people, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Those people, they don't spend long enough in a gym program before they get back, like saying, if we want to build muscle size, if we want to build muscle strength, if that's something that someone is lacking, I think for myself, if I had a patellar tendon issue or if someone who had like huge quads had a patellar tendon issue, it'd probably be like that. That'd be a case where you'd say, you don't need a three month gym program, dude. Like you got some other issue going on that we need to address. But yeah, it's a, that's one thing she was talking about is, is these people that they don't spend long enough building up the structures, whether that is the quads or whether that is maybe that maybe part of that is letting the tendon because if you have that hole in the tendon, that research that it actually grows bigger and, and gets better, it gets, it gets the healthy structure on the outside. Um, kind of that healing process, like Enda was talking about, that you have a natural healing process with the tendon and we should kind of like paddle our canoe alongside. Like you're saying, I, I love that analogy, but I was also like, what do you, what do you mean healing process? Like how much time, how much, what do you, what, you know, but I, I think he was, it was probably that process of the tendon is pissed off. Uh, maybe there's some degeneration, whatever. It's going to take a while for the for the new collagen maybe to form on the outsides. So, anyways, Jill saying that you need to have that longer gym program. And I was wondering if that's like okay, we're getting the muscle strength, but we're also getting the tendon adaptation. Do you think that's something that have you seen with people that they just don't spend enough time with that like slower strength type work? Yeah, definitely. Oh, you do. Okay, hundred yes, percent. Now we spoke on your podcast, and I said that I don't. Like whenever I can, I'll keep people jumping and stuff like that. I just might bring it down from three days a week to two or from two to one or something like that if I need to, because I do find it hard sometimes to, to get build people back up to, to the jumping and stuff, particularly if they actually won't commit to the gym program properly. Now they won't do the gym program and I just took away some of their jumping and now they're just like not as active. But yes, they don't commit for long enough to strengthening it. and particularly with field sports, definitely in Ireland, our season goes on, our, our Gaelic football or hurling season goes on nearly 12 months of the year sometimes because guys could be playing, our girls could be playing in college with their, they could be playing with their under 21 team, they could be playing with their senior team and they could be playing two sports, football and hurling. So it's like almost a year round. And if you have a tendon problem, that is a disaster because there is no real defined off season where it's like three months to really solidly stress the tendon. So what I make people, I make people write down what you're doing on the leg extension. Here's the exact weight you're lifting today. And if you come back to me, like if, if we didn't talk for 12 months and you came back to me and you're still lifting that weight on the leg extension or holding that weight, you have failed. You need to be like, you need to be, I don't know, God knows how much lifting, lifting heavier. And that's their, that's their singular goal for, for the entire year is to even in season, get that number up on the leg extension. And then if they can get an off season, they need three months or four months of absolutely hammering leg press, leg extension, front squats, 
foam roller bridges, hamstring curls, soleus work, and trying to keep keep in some amount of plyometrics as well. Mm-hmm. I was reminded again of that of that whole thing with uh, Daniel Bach, jump science. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Great, great dude. So, so smart, and and mm-hmm. and he's a guy where you talk about giving good explanations. He gives amazing explanations for things, you know, like you can't, you can't refute his explanations. Or, <laughs> Me and Tim like, Riley were just talking about, I recorded a podcast with Tim. We're like, he's so, Daniel is so logical. Yeah. You just can't <laughs> fuck with him. But yeah, so we're talking about like those kids who they don't spend long enough in the gym program to really like build up the strength, build up maybe the strength, the tendon and everything. Because Dan works with basketball guys and I have a history of basketball. It's like any kid, whoever's like, Hey, I want to, you meet him at the gym. Hey, I want, I want to jump higher or something. It's like, well, like you got to stop playing basketball so much, you know? And that's one thing, one thing Dan had talked about recently. He said it before. It's like, they just play too much basketball. Like if you want development, if you want to change yourself, your, your speed, your strength, your vertical, whatever it is, you have to take time away from basketball. You're playing basketball five days a week. You do, you don't have the energy to put to the gym program. And I think that's one problem with those. I mean, you say with the, with your sport there, but it's like the basketball guys that they never stop and they never stop playing basketball. And, and usually they, you will not stop playing basketball because it's a year-round thing. And you can play anytime you want. You can play seven days a week. Just get a ball, go to the court. You can get some mm-hmm. friends or whatever. So it's like they're so overworked with basketball that the rehab will probably suffer, but the performance will also suffer because no one can ever, ever dedicate enough time to a gym program because you just, you're just fatigued. And there's too much time taken with the actual sport. Yeah. And the way around that, I think, is, which is very hard, is you need to help them understand that even if it's not an injury thing, but if they're playing basketball five days a week, it's like if you play three days a week and focus on these specific skills, what, what, what things do you need to get better at in your sport? You need to get better at shooting or you need to get better at defense or offense or whatever the hell it is. Actually train those things with purpose, not just go and play a game of pickup and just do the same stupid things that you always do. You will get better at your sport training half the amount of time. And then we have time to develop the other qualities as well. And that goes for GAA as well, like Gaelic football and hurlers. You look at an athlete, a player playing today, and you look at him in 10 years' time, still makes the same mistake every time, still kicks the ball the exact same way, same crappy way. All these still makes the poor decisions. If they actually just spend time, identified whether we spend less time playing the sport, but more time working on those things and doing their gym program, they'll be 10 times the athlete. But they don't, they don't understand that because practice is so poor, in, in, in te- particularly in team sports, practice is so poor. If you're a tennis player and you keep making the same mistake, like, it gets identified so quickly. You just keep hitting the net. It's not, you're not going to keep doing it. But in team mm-hmm. sports, you just get away with the same shit again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, one, that's one big reason I left college, too. Is like, I mean, I, I, I see myself spending, I was there three, uh, at that last university, three years, and it's like, you spend all this time in the off season training all those people and, and get them ready for preseason. And then they go to preseason and it's like, all right, three hours of basketball practice, you know, five days a week. It's like everything I did is pointless now. <laughs> like it was, a, it was a complete waste of my time and their time, everyone's time, because nothing that we had gained, if they did get bigger or they did get stronger or they did in a, in a way where they could use it on the court, they're not going to do it anymore. Cause you just gave them 15 hours of, of basketball this week. But I, I also think if if they actually went the intensity that a coach wanted them to, they would all be injured. And so they just find a way to pace themselves, you know, to go like 50%. But it is, it, it's, that's a big, I mean, I prefer online or what, 
for many other reasons, you don't have to deal with the people that you disagree with or people that, you know, um, but that, that whole aspect of I'm going to go train this team for months and then we're going to send them to the coach and they're just going to be run into the ground. And it's like, I, I start to think like, I'm going to die someday. And the majority of my time is spent training this freaking team. And like it, it, it's meaningless. It's just pointless. So I just need, I need to get out. Yeah, man. Yeah, into that Minnesota. So I did like a three. It was like a rotation thing where like there was three different uh, gyms we were kind of at with Minnes within Minnesota because Cal has the hockey set hockey gym and then there's like a basketball one kind of and then there's like an Olympic one. So I kind of was at three different spots. So yeah, the the and then when I left when I left Minnesota for probably the next two years, I just copied uh, like word for word what Cal did and. And used it as justification to be like, oh, Cal did it and he's successful. So it's good, you know. So probably like you, everything that you look at now and kind of are are skeptical or or critical of, that was once who I was. So it's like, you know, that's that's why I am that way. Cause I think that kid, that kid who I was, I needed someone cold, someone who was smarter than me, way better than me, who could just be as blunt as possible, be like, dude, you are wrong and you're an idiot. I think that's what I needed. <laughs> <laughs> what um what do you not agree with now that you would have done back then um well it's it's it so it's actually like a completely the way i looked at everything like i thought i could come into any program and make them successful as a freaking strength coach you know mm -hmm. i thought i could come into any program and i'm like everyone needs to get stronger everyone needs to whatever be faster jump higher change direction quicker and i can do all this you know i, I can help out and it's like then I think I read Fergus Connolly's book, Game Changer. And it's like, you have the, the tactical, technical, physical, psychological. And then I'm like, okay, I'm on the physical side, you know? So I like started to put that together and be like, I, maybe I don't have that effect with the team sport. And then um, we got a soccer coach at Youngstown who was a past strength coach who completely, I did a couple podcasts with him. We called it, I think we called it the red pill strength conditioning, you know, cause he would always use the matrix analogy of like, of like, dude, when you came in and you were that Cal dude, like, you were the blue pill guy when you're like, I'm going to take over everything and I'm going to be so effective and no one is doing anything right. And I have all the answers because I know Chaldeans and you people don't, and you don't do triphasic. I do triphasic. You all are idiots that you don't do, you know? So it's like, it was kind of that moment with him where it's like, all right, do you want to keep going this way? Or do you want to like maybe attempt to give better explanations for what's going on in performance? So yeah, I, I think it's, it's not even like, and dude, anyone, any strength coach can do anything they want. I'm not critical of anyone. Go and do, go and do whatever you want. It's just when you're going to start saying like, that's the reason for success or that's what like, get out of here. Like if you got to, if you take a division one kid in and they're 18 years old, like, and, and they're amazing at their sport, they were already there. Like the, the best thing you can do is probably hopefully make sure they don't get hurt. Give them a little bit of strength, give them a little bit of speed, whatever it is, but you're not making that person. And that's not good for marketing, so you don't see that very often. That's the narrative thing, though. That's the I have the exact same feeling about the rehab world, the pain world, the physiotherapy world, all of that stuff. People are shitting all over biomechanics and stuff at the moment. Then they're whinging at other people. In my opinion, get as smart as possible. Learn everything. Learn as much as you can. Knowledge, like know how to apply all of this stuff. Just start, be careful with the narratives you apply to it. I get I get so frustrated with the the physios who are like biopsychosocial, but actually biomechanics doesn't matter. And then the biomechanical some people who are interested in biomechanics get tossed in with these idiots who just have a biomechanical explanation for everything. So it's like, is the problem with biomechanics 
or is the problem with the narrative that people are applying to it? That the problem is the people with the, na- the narrative that people are applying to it. So go and learn it. Be as smart as you can. Don't be dumb, but just don't apply a stupid narrative just because you learn something. That's the issue. And that's the same with the strength coach. It's trying to have this narrative. That's the same with Gota. I have no problem with any of the movements that they do. Do whatever the hell movements you want. Great. You're getting people moving. Functional patterns. Go and get people moving. I have no problem with it. Just stop applying this weird, stupid narrative to it uh, along with it. That's the only issue. And I think that's the issue that everyone has. Anyway, <laughs> that's my reign. That's my yeah. Reign. yeah. The narratives. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I do a little bit of that, but it's more like, like I made that Pokemon card with the leg extension in the background, you know, like, <laughs> so it's like, I kind of dabble with the narratives, but it's more like a mockery maybe of those people that actually yeah, yeah, take that yeah. seriously. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah. Like if you're not, if you do four by 10 and you don't do eight by five, like you're just, you're losing all gains and you're never going to make any progress. You know, I, I mean, I'll say that. And, and the people, I'm sure there are people that are like, is this guy serious? But the people who do know me are like, dude, that's actually pretty funny. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who is your, out of all your people that you've had on your podcast, like these tendon people, if you, if you had a tendon issue now and you knew nothing, who would you be going to? Oh, because you've talked to the, some smart people. Yeah. But the thing is like, they all have, like, so the thing, man, first of all, when I first did that show with Jill, I was so, like, we talked for like 60 minutes. I was so engaged the whole time because it was, it was crazy. I was like, she's saying all these things that I'm like, what's, uh, how is this going? And um, anyway, for, for like months after, man, it was just like, her word was kind of like gospel to me, you know? And, and then you kind of like dig a little deep. It's like, okay, maybe not. And she's so entertaining because she speaks so definitively. Like, she's it's so, it's so entertaining. Yeah, it's, it's so entertaining to listen to because mm-hmm. it's just like you can't have patellar tendon and patellar femoral at the same time. No, it doesn't happen, you know. And then it's like I even I asked Ebony and she's like, "Well, I don't." Know. Ebony does <laughs> like, and then I asked that uh, Claire Robertson and she's like, "Well, I disagree." And I've seen like ten thousand patients, so I disagree, you know. So and then, um, so I'm like, "Well, okay." So, anyways, who would who would I go to? I think probably because he was recent. Enda seems like just everything he said made so much sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he, the way you can simplify everything and then just have this, have those ideas of like, where are you? Where do you want, where do you want to be at the end? Man, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the other things. Cause I know there was, there was like five huge things. So I'm just like, these, mm-hmm. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of this, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think, I think with him, yeah, his stuff was great. He references in another show, but he kind of gave a, uh, he talked a lot about the calf too. The thing, so the thing I think with Jill is like, the, there's so much time spent on the, the strength work, you know, the isometric, the isotonic stage, which probably like very simple stuff, but then you get to the store and release and it's like, this is where things are going to go wrong. Yeah. You know, this is where, this is where you're getting back into the high load tendon activities and what's the direction, you know, it's, it, there's, there still is no good direction there. So I think, and, and they had good ideas with that because you have that patellar tendon issue. It's like, usually it's locked. So like getting that knee to bend again. So it's like you're walking on a peg leg when you're when your patella tendon hurts. Anyway, sorry to go off tangent. So like I can't really give. I probably would say endo, but I, I I've learned from all those people and I can apply everything. But I was when I was in I think I was in Philadelphia because I was I was traveling out east. Actually, I went to Indianapolis and I just destroyed my patella tendon. Like I did vertical jump testing, I did heavy front squats, I did heavy deadlifts, hamstrings, and I played basketball the next day, dunk sessions. I couldn't <laughs> even walk up and down stairs for like three days, and it was just like patella femoral pain both legs. And I was thinking, like, am I ever going to get better? But it, but it actually just, it just took a few days and it went away. Um, I just overdid it like crazy. But I was in Philly and I did, I did kind of a similar thing. 
And I remember walking into like a Planet Fitness, and I, the day prior, I had just front squatted like 380 maybe or something like that, and threw down some pretty decent dunks to some high boxes. I'm walking in, and like my knee is just giving out. You know, <laughs> I'm like I can't even walk in the gym. Like you feel so, you feel so powerful and good performance wise the day prior. And then when the patella tendon blows up the next day, it's like, you can't even walk and your knee is giving out when you're walking into freaking planet fitness. And this lady who's 400 pounds and overweight is walking just fine. And you can't even walk, you know, your knees giving out. So those cases, I mean, it's the, the advice I give, it's like, don't change loads until it's like, sometimes it's hard to follow because if I'm with the boys and it's like, we're going to play basketball for three hours and we're going to duck afterwards. I'm like, I'm not going to say no, we're going to do that. And I'm probably going to not be able to get out of bed the next day, but I do know what I need to do now for rehab, you know, which I think, which I think is the most powerful thing. Back when I had my patellar tendon, probably like you did, it's like, I didn't know what to do yeah. and I just rested. But now it's like, I know exactly what to do and I'll be back good in maybe one or two days. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, what's frustrating actually is, you know, you see all these posts that like, oh, strength and condition and rehab, it's just recycling old ideas again and again and again. It's not. It's it's getting so much smart. Everyone's getting so much smarter. Everyone's getting so much better every single year. If you look back at like, it, yeah, because some of the exercises come back into fashion, that's fine. But like the reasoning behind doing them is so much better now. The programming, mm-hmm. I think, is so much better in general. 99%. Yeah, some Russian guy was unbelievable back 60 <laughs> years ago. But like the industry as a whole is moving way forward. People are way smarter People's programming is getting better. Their load management is getting better. Biomechanical is getting better. The psychosocial model is, is there. People are starting to understand all of these things. Even 10 years ago, you, you couldn't find anything on patellar tendons. I certainly couldn't. I still have some guy's book, Fixed Patellar Tendon or something, Pain or something like that. He was like, he was sending out emails all the time. And this was, he was, he was a big deal. And he was just, he was just doing a lot of glute stuff. Like you were saying, the bird dogs, <laughs> all of that stuff, you know? So, <laughs> Everything's getting so much better. There's so much. I actually got emotional a couple of years ago. I had a young guy, a Gaelic footballer in, I think he was 21 or two, similar age when I got my knee issue. And he he, he was like, I, I need to retire from football. Like he had a big career ahead of him and he was pretty good and all this stuff. And he was saying, I, I'm, I'm destroyed. I can't even run. And within about six weeks, we had him back like almost 100%. And I was like, that was me 10 years ago. And it took me seven years minimum to even... My career was like, I had to stop playing, blah, 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 to even figure out what was going on. Yeah. And like, things are so, there's so much hope there, so much information there. And um, I think you're, you've definitely done a really good job with that, helping people with that. Thank you. Do you think you could have been, excel- do you think you just had bad people treating you? Yeah. Like, do you think there were people out there that existed that were like better? Oh, yeah, I'm sure there was. Yeah. Like to, to the level that you could have been back a lot faster? Yeah. Yeah. Just told me to do some leg extensions. <laughs> look, look the, the, yeah. I, I only, I only really forgave Orenda Works, Sanctuary. I only really forgave them and got that chip off my shoulder like eighteen months ago. I was like, they gave me bad, really poor advice at the time. But like that, I, I don't know. It wasn't Enda, by the way. It was, I, it was, it was a couple of other people. But like, if they gave me good advice at the time and really explained it, like things could have been very, very different, but, but, they, but they didn't. But then again, maybe that was just what, what was around at that time. They were doing the best to their ability and no one knew, knew very well. There was very little research, I, I think, you know? Yeah. You know, now, I mean, now that you say it, I think actually I wasn't, when I did get it, there, there wasn't much online. I think I found Kelly Sturette, like mobility wad. 
And I was looking for like patellar tendon videos and he didn't have any. So it's like anything that said the knee, I'm like, all right, I need this. You know, and it's like femoral mashing, whatever. And then, and getting the pumping your quad on a, on a lacrosse ball or something like, you know, it's like, or stretching your hip because that's why your knee hurts or doing some ankle dorsiflexion is limited. That's why your knee hurts. Stuff like, and it's like, none of this stuff helped at all. And I could not find, I guess, hey, I guess now that I look back, you're right. Like there was no information at all. It was garbage. <laughs> it was garbage. It was awful. I did the same thing. <laughs> Kelly Sarret. I had that mobility wad or the supple leopard book. I had the pages fold down, folded down that he was with knee stuff. I had a TRX working on like, like ab rollouts or these type of things, banded distractions from my knee joint, flossing from my knee joint, smashing every tissue that ever existed. Like <laughs> that was what we did. <laughs> yeah you know that's 10 years ago that's not even 10 years ago people were doing that now some people are still doing that but that, that's why when people say the industry isn't progressing we're just recycling old ideas no we are not yeah you know you wouldn't get away with saying that stuff online anymore you get hammered <laughs> you would hammer them <laughs> yeah i i guess i don't go on comments and do and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah you know I, no I, you I do you actually do because i have this written down do you use a sandbag on your hip anymore for that internal rotation? Uh, I haven't for a long time. You did, though? Yeah, I did. Because I came across a video only a week ago. It was suggested on my, on my YouTube. And I went on to it, and it was someone talking about putting a sandbag on the hip and blah, 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 and giving big scientific explanation for it. And all the comments were like trolls saying, this is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. The next thing I see, your name. <laughs> And your comment replied to one of the guys just going, you're the twig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Uh, yeah. I saw him a twig. I think you called him a twig. I thought I called him like a toothbrush or something. Or something. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. This was a long time ago. It was a Pat Davidson video. Yeah. And Pat Davidson was saying, like, you get squeezed like a tube of toothpaste or something now. Yeah. And the kid was hating on Pat, you know, it's like, whatever. And I'm like, dude, you're a freaking toothbrush or something like that. You know, like, <laughs> um yeah that was that was a video man when pat put that up on on instagram that blew up people were pissed about that they're like yeah. we're not a pancake and whatever they're making memes about everything and it's like really i don't know i i laid down on my side and i put the sandbags on and my hip internal rotation opened up and i felt pretty good but mm -hmm. that's all i'm gonna leave it at if people are gonna be like well is it practical is it the best ways i'm not getting at it like that i'm just saying i did it my hip internal rotation improved and then i lifted am i gonna do this every day for the rest of my life I doubt it, but who does anything every day for the rest of their life? Like what is practical? Because yeah. you could have, you can have like, here's the daily spinal flow, the, the 10 movements or something. There's no way you're doing this every day of your life. Yeah. No one's going to be doing this. Every, so it's like, maybe it's just novelty variation, something like that. So, yeah. but I yeah. Uh, I don't use it. I don't use that stuff. Not, I actually prescribed something like that to a guy recently for a very specific reason, but I don't, I don't use it. I feel like I have a responsibility to people with some of the following that I have now that I've seen so many neuro tricks and stuff like that over the years. And I need to, like, you could also improve your hip internal rotation by just doing some foam rolling. Or if I rubbed your eyebrow in a certain way, I've seen that too. If I, if I changed the color in the room, if I said certain words to you, like, you know, so now I'm not saying that, that there's not a, some kind of biomechanical explanation behind it, which I understand the explanation behind it, and I think it's it's valid enough. But I feel like at least me, I have a responsibility to try and give people things that will 
like mo- movement, you know, things that I can, I can recreate and be very confident with and get repeatable results again and again and again with different people. But you're a bit different to me in that regard where your persona and your personality is a bit more like the strength, the strength coach guy and I'm willing to try anything. And I'm, again, it's the narrative thing. You're, you're just saying this worked for me. I don't exactly know why. I don't really care that much, but it, it helped me. Whereas me, I'm dealing with people more with like chronic pain, like, you know, real, real issues that like mindset issues, really afraid of their movement, been told lots of stupid things over the years that have stopped them moving, being so cautious, they won't round their back to pick up a pencil, all of these things. So I have to be careful with those type of things. So I can see why people would bash Pat for some of the explanations that are put out there. But again, it's the narrative. If you just say this, this helps me, this works for some people. I don't really know why it works. Here's what I think, but maybe I'm wrong. That I, I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, you're you're more caring than me. I just if I got someone like that, I'm like, just don't be soft, man. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the the Pat thing that was I was watching a lot of Bill Hartman, and I think you you talked to me about that too. You're like when the I don't know if you were talking specifically about that or other biomechanical systems. I don't know what it was, but you're like when the complexity of the system has increases, I want to see results increase. I think that's what you said on my show. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh man, I used to spend like, I spent an hour every time I eat eating food, I pull up a Bill Hartman video, Bill Hartman, Bill Hartman, you know, I was watching all this stuff and I'm just like, I get months in and I'm like, have I changed anything? In what I do? Like I don't, I do the same thing, you know, and what, what actionable thing have I taken from this? So like, I kind of just, I could think I kind of just stopped watching these videos. I watch it once in a while. I think like crazy smart dude, like really valuable stuff. But again, like if is maybe that, for me some, sometimes i'm in that mood sometimes i'm not and usually i'm not I'm just like ah, i don't care like i'm good my biomechanics are good i can jump pretty high i can lift some pretty heavy weights i'm pretty strong like i'm pretty good where i'm at i think we should be taught this stuff entering the industry not necessarily that mod bill's model or anything like that but i think there should be a the standard for the industry is quite low like you can talk to some coaches and they can't even tell you like that a squat involves hip flexion they don't know what that means so like that's that's not great. So we should have I think we should have a much higher level of understanding of biomechanics and loading and programming and all of these things. Then we can decide what to do with it. But we should be able to describe anatomical movements, positions, tissues, things that Franz Bosch talks about, muscle slack, all of these things. We should know these things. And then we can decide what to do with them in terms of like the practical aspects. But I think I do think we should know about them. But the, as complexity increases, I do want to see I do want to see results increase as well dramatically. And if that's if that's not the case, then yeah, I just get frustrated with some people who will co- come at me or comment on stuff, and I'm like, show me the people that you're you're helping, how you do a better job than me, and then we can talk. Now, not that I you can learn anything from anyone. Like there is some something you can learn, but if you're going to say that I'm, you're so smart and you're so good, like show, show me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Okay. My last question for you. Oh no. Do you have a uh, second last question? This one is a bit vague. Anything else about knees? Anything you've been thinking about recently? Oh yeah. All day, all day. <laughs> you're obsessed with knees. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, um, actually like, I mean, I go back through my, my old uh, protocol and it's like, there, there are, because I, I've, I've interviewed so many people where it's like, I, I got to change some things, but 
I, I've been looking back. I'm like, this thing's pretty solid. You know, that's what I'm, looking back. I'm like, <laughs> yep. uh, but I'm also like, I got I got to change some things and then I got to give more, more explanation because people are stupid. And I kind of left things up in the air of like, here's how you implement it. Go ahead, make your own plan. Cause there's no recipe, but so yeah, I'm uh, figuring out recently of like getting all this knowledge from the podcast and getting it into like a more packaged way where it's more usable for people. Because I'm sure like you're, you will listen to the end of podcast, but like, will a kid with guitar tendonopathy go listen to that podcast? You know, he might, he might just want a specific plan to do. So that's what I'm at. And then I, I have a lot of people like lined up that I want to get on and, and interview again because, and they just haven't been getting back to me. I think I'm going to get Ebony Rio on again. I'm going to get that Michael Kerr if he'll ever reply to my email. Or Keith Barr, I've sent him two emails. I'm going to send him another email. There's some other people. Like, really, I found some newer tendon people. I'm just like, you guys are talking about something that I didn't even know was there. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm like, the, those are the shows that I think uh, can be really interesting. But um, what did, sorry, I want your thoughts. When I had, I had Claire Robertson on, and she was saying patellofemoral pain is a pressure issue with like, what, what are your thoughts? Like, pressure in terms of like, the way the kneecap is sitting is kind of like is off a little bit. So like it's causing this, this distribution and pressure that's could be causing that discomfort. Again, going back to Bill, Bill would probably say everything is kind of a pressure, pressure issue in terms of the fluid dynamics, how the, how the fluid in, inside the knee has been pushed around and how the knee has been pressurized in that way. So she's probably right in some ways, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. She's probably right in some ways. Uh-huh. But then the, I presume then she means that like that's being influenced from proximal or distal or. Yeah, that's what that's what it would be. Yeah, like the the I mean, the big one would be like that if someone is a lot of valgus that then you have that kind of weird stress or if someone has like a the VL, the VL tightness, IT outside tightness that then that could cause that that to kind of drift a little bit with the patella drift and cause a pressure difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's probably not wrong, but then, like with so many of these issues, I I don't I don't know the answer. But like things like the foam roller bridge and something like that, someone does a few sets of that for a few weeks and they never get knee pain again. Some uh-huh. some people, and you know, maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that has changed how the joint is being pressurized or whatever. I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know the answer. And then it depends how they actually do that bridge and where they put their foot pressure. You can change that. You have to change that for different people. Yeah, I would. Yeah. So, sorry, I would think, because um, she, she was talking about one of those groups with the telephemoral is that there's the, there are the runners that have that like excessive knee bend, the runners that are getting too much. So like, I think you do that foam roller bridge, soleus, you get a, you get a little better connection with the soleus um, that you're not going to have as much of that push forward with the knee when running i don't know if you would agree with that yeah maybe, maybe that's yeah, what we're going on yeah and, and get more they need more they need more access to their midfoot those type of people probably they need that more co-contraction that more springiness and that calf will take a serious amount of pressure off the knee joint then a lot yeah and when they get that excessive knee bend that's probably what the end is talking about in the first place it's it's not really those those runners won't be getting acl issues or anything like that but it's the same issue it's a sagittal plane stiffness issue that they can't they can't probably load their achilles their, and franz bosch as well they can't maybe overcome muscle slack they're sinking down into their knee all of the time so there is a lot to consider there and those people would probably that's where people would say they're getting a, the valgus knee is the issue the pronation is the issue you'll see that those people actually can't pronate their foot in the first place because they're actually just like getting this 
deeper knee bend and an eversion of the of the ankle and the tibia has actually been left in external rotation whereas we'd like to see that pronation happen a little bit of tibial internal rotation just a bit and then they spring back off again so it's not pronation is not the issue it's a, it's it's either a sagittal plane stiffness issue which is probably a lot of calf a lot of calf maybe a bit of quadricep strength um and how they manage their foot and the ankle and it's uh, actually an inability to pronate probably is the issue. Mm-hmm. Makes yeah. sense? Yep. Okay, cool. My last question, my generic question, you're going to you're gonna go on a, a desert island for a week. You have to bring, I don't know whether to <laughs> some people I ask you, you have to bring three coaches with you. To, like you get to learn from three people for a week. It doesn't have to be coaches necessarily. Uh, who would you want to learn from or who would you want to bring with you? Oh, really? You ask this on every show, huh? Mm-hmm. You I really, listened. I really suck. I really suck at these type of questions. I think of, I was on a show and like we just sat in silence for two minutes. Can <laughs> I hit that out? I don't know what show that was. I feel like that was like Kyle Dobbs' show. Maybe it wasn't though. Did you hear the Lex Friedman interview with Elon Musk recently? No. Do you know who Lex Friedman is? Uh, it sounds familiar. Who is he? Yeah, he's a big podcast guy now. He's in a. He's an AI guy. He's a big nerdy tech guy, but. He's also a black belt in jujitsu and he has after Rogan, it's probably the world's biggest podcast, but he has like the, the single worst haircut in the world. He's, he's kind of just a, it's a short black haircut with like a fringe that's going straight across. He wears a black suit to all his interviews, but he's a bit of a legend. Like, and he's really cool. He's young enough. So you should watch it. But he asked Elon a question. It went viral a couple of weeks ago. The, the, the episode was released. He asked Elon, when will humans get to? Mars, when will you get to Mars? And Elon didn't say anything for like 37 seconds. And everyone, like Lex was just sitting there looking at him. And then Elon was like, hmm, five years. <laughs> and he actually, so, but it went viral because everyone, like, the, you could see the clock ticking. And uh, they said, like, such a good interviewer that just left him actually ponder his answer, like, you know. Yeah. But it's different for you if you just don't have an answer. Maybe he just needed to let Elon think. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Three people I could come on. Um, three. It sounds like they have to be dead too. Huh? No, they don't have to be dead. Well, that's what it kind of sounds like, though. Okay, you and, can choose an athlete if you want. You can choose. I anyone. have a very um. Well, I watch movie. I watch a lot of sci-fi movies, like horror movies. Mm-hmm. So, like you say, you're on a desert island. So I just immediately go to like thinking of old movies, so like the show Lost or like the movie Old with uh, the M Night Shyamalan. It's kind of sucked, but. Uh, so you'd bring John Locke from Lost. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I actually stopped watching Lost because it was around about halfway through like season four. They changed the TV to digital TV. You could no longer use the antennas. Yeah. And my parents only had one digital TV box and it was in the living room. So I couldn't watch Lost anymore because someone was always watching something at the time. So I just and completely did you ever gave finish up it? No. Uh, it, I, it, I, just went... I watched it. We watched this in lockdown like 18 months ago. I never watched Lost before. And for the first two or three seasons, it was unbelievable. And they just, be, it was unbelievable because, I don't know, did you see the part where your man Harley, the long-haired guy, the big guy, like these numbers, he had these mystical numbers on the lotto ticket. Did you see that? Yeah. But then, and everything, anyone who used the numbers, everything went wrong. Everything started blowing up around him and all this. 
And they, I was like, Jesus, I can't wait to find out what's going on with these numbers. They just never bothered explaining it. And they did this like a hundred other times. I was like, fucking, I, I love John Locke. And then he just turned into another person. So you're better off not watching the last couple I, 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 I think I watched the, the, very, the very last episode. And didn't they end up like they're all dead or something? Yeah, they're all in a church or something. I don't know. I, I, I didn't even understand it. Like I was like, is getting out to the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so coaches... Doesn't have so, to be coached. Why is, why is it so difficult? I mean, you you say, who's your favorite basketballer? Reggie Miller. Okay. Reggie Miller still still living. I I bring him. Why not? Yeah. Why not Reggie Miller? I could talk <laughs> who's to him. Who's your favorite that. tendon researcher? And I could team. ask him. I could ask him about Reggie. He has, he has a photo, like an old photo of him, like pouring alcohol down this like stripper's throat or something on on Google. It's like that's inappropriate, Reggie. Come on. I remember seeing that in high school. I was just like. It was such a shock to me. Like Reggie's doing this. Like we can't be doing that. <laughs> the uh, yeah, Reggie. Uh, let's see what else. Football and, and uh, let's bring Verkoshansky. Let's bring Verkoshansky. Oh yeah, okay. Let's yeah, bring Verkoshansky. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, and a leg extension. And uh, no, that one dude. So like, let's bring an actor. The guy from uh, Prison Break, Lincoln. I like him. He's the, he's a he's Lincoln a good actor. Burrows. Lincoln Burroughs. Yeah, let's bring Lincoln Burroughs. <laughs> And the actual Lincoln Burroughs, not the not the actor that plays Lincoln Burroughs, but like the actual Lincoln Burroughs. So he's and, on the island, and he is Lincoln Burroughs. And teabag, a teabag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that you would not. I would not want him, dude. That was a good show. That was an amazing show. Season one was like my favorite show of the any best any season. The best yeah. show season one was unbelievable. And then it just worse, worse, worse yeah. after that. And yep. then Michael died, and then actually turned out ten years later, he wasn't dead. I didn't know that. Back. I didn't even see that. I got to start watching the endings of these things. I didn't mm-hmm. know there was. Yeah. Yeah. Remember they left it with like, they buried him. Like in, it was terrible at this stage. And then they just relaunched it like two years ago when he was alive again. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was, no, I think that was another case where not, not with the TV issue, but it seemed like I was watching it on Fox on TV at the time I was in high school and they just stopped airing the show. Like it just, it just went away. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what happened. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, man. Thank you. Where, where are people going to find you? So Instagram, Jake Tura, T-U-U-R-A. Everyone spells it with two R's, but it's actually with two U's. And uh, the website is jackedathlete.com. And my podcast is Jacked Athlete Podcast. Sweet. That's it. Legend. Go to Jake the Tendon Tura. That's, that should be your that's me good. something website name, I think, your URL. That's what I'm going to call you. Jake yeah, the Snake Tora or Jake the Tendon Tora? All right. <laughs> All right, brother.